Hey, y'all, my name is Nicole Rowan, and this is my podcast, a space to encourage you, share biblical truths, get all of these thoughts in my head out, and introduce you to some amazing people along the way. For more info, you can go to NicoleRowan.com. All right, I'm super excited for today's podcast with a really good friend of mine, Kristen Cowgill. She um, and her husband were in California for how long? 11 years? Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. And um, have recently moved to to Destin, Florida, which, y'all, it is beautiful and warm and the ocean is amazing. I'm here right now with her. Um, She and her husband pastor at a church here and she also is the uh, director of events for Grand Boulevard. Um, So she's running for mayor probably within the next 10 years. (laughs) Just killing it here, taking over powerhouse. Uh, Mom, wife, pastor, amazing person. So I'm excited um, to have her on the podcast today because we're going to talk about a topic that... um, I've heard her talk about quite a few times and um, that I think is super interesting, not only for those in ministry, but just for anybody out there, man, woman, child, human, alien, I don't know, everybody, Uh, because we're going to talk about trust and we're going to talk about trust in the midst of betrayal as well. So um, Kristen, thanks for for being on here and um, taking time to be on the podcast in Destin, Florida. Oh man, thank you for having me. Um, it's been really cool to get to know you this year. So to be on this podcast is really an honor. I love what you represent. I love what you're about and uh, just excited, excited to be here with you. Oh, thank you. We're having a moment. We're like the same person. It's a little scary. <laughs> we we would often get, like I would preach somewhere and someone would come up and say, you remind me of this girl, Kristen Cowgill. And then people would say the same thing to her when she was speaking at places. And eventually I just got really annoyed. Like, who is this person? Is she as awesome as me? Really? Um, and I, I found out she comes pretty close to being as awesome as me. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, okay. So I just want to jump in, Kristen. I'm just going to start off with this first question. What has been your journey with trust? What's the word mean to you? Um, a lot of people use this word trust. I trust you or I don't trust them or I trust this. And reality is like we trust things all the time without recognizing we don't really have a lot of trust. Like if I sit down in a chair at a restaurant, I trust it's going to hold me up. I don't know anything about that chair. I don't know who sat in it before me, how long it's been there. Um, so we utilize trust um, in ways that we don't even realize, but on the topic of relationship, mm-hmm. relational trust, if you will, what, what, just tell us a little bit about your journey with that. Yeah. Um, well, trust, I would say what I learned even at a young age is that I was a, um, very trusting person. Like I, I found the best in people or tried to, and I, I, I think I did that pr- from a pretty young age. I don't remember ever like, wrestling with, oh, I can't trust this person. Uh, I think a lot of that, um, as I got older, there were things that my eyes would open up to that I would go, huh, okay, that's interesting. You know, whether it was, you know, girls gossiping about you when you're in middle school, high school or, um, but the, the, the journey with trust has been an interesting one for me because I would say like, I usually give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, where, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm easy to welcome people into my world and, and just automatically trust. But what I was noticing, um, in my life, whenever anything went 
towards betrayal, it was very difficult for me to reopen trust. So whether it was, you know, parents, uh, you know, family, friends, uh, inner circle friends, um, man, it, 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 my trust would turn almost to when any type of violation had happened, would almost turn to a suspicion trust. Like, can I trust? Um, so I had to really wrestle with that like big time, uh, particularly, uh, probably in the last six or seven years where I was noticing that brokenness of, man, you're very suspicious of people. You wonder like, can I trust you? Like, um, it was never really with people that like, were like just coming into my world. It was normally with people that had been in my world a little bit of time, but then I would get hurt or try to enter conflict and it didn't go well. Or then I'm going, man, I I don't, I don't know if you had my best intentions at heart. So trust definition for me is a complete freedom to fully be myself, beautiful, broken, accepted, chosen, um, that that's a sacred place for me inside a relationship. So definition would just be the safest place where I can just freely be me with no strings attached. Um, so a safe haven, if you will, yeah. is probably. That's good. And, and people, if they haven't already picked up on it, which I'm sure anyone that is familiar with the Enneagram would know by now that you're an eight. We're both eights. Mm. Eights unite over yeah. here. <laughs> um, so this is a common theme for... Uh, for eights, but but I like what you said because a lot of times I feel like eights get this bad rap about, um, you know, you don't trust well, you're not vulnerable. That's the word that people like to use. When what I what I heard you just say was, I actually will trust people coming into my world. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I can relate to that. So that's really easy for me is to actually be vulnerable, open, raw, honest, whatever you want mm-hmm. to tag it with. Mm-hmm. I can trust people easily, but it's the moment that it's broken, mm-hmm. which typically happens with those who've been in our world, mm-hmm. you know, a lot longer than those just entering it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would just love to hear more on this because I know there are people listening who have been betrayed or have been hurt, um, or maybe they, they're not familiar with the Enneagram. And so none of that just made sense to them. But I know there are people listening going, how do I walk through betrayal mm-hmm. well and honoring? And especially if they're a Christian, how do I, how do I humble myself and die to myself and yet, um, love well and treat myself well in this once have been betrayed. So, so I know a little bit of your story and I won't use names or anything, but you know, I know there have been relationships that have been long, really intimate relationships that you've been betrayed by severely. Mm -hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you've walked through that. Tell us the unhealthy and the healthy uh, of, of how to do that. Well, yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I, I will say, I think I'm still learning how to do it. Well, I think where I'm at in this season is, um, Man, I, I've just had this, to to walk in our faith the way Jesus modeled it is a very um, interesting thing. Um, I think I have had to own pieces of uh, perception or things I perceived as reality. Um, I've had to own like, man, I was really hurt by this and being honest and being able to vocalize that. Um, I think also like I just have this realization uh, probably in the past couple, like maybe two years that um, we expect perfection in our Christian community of like perfect relationships and they just don't exist. 
Like we, we're not as gracious with each other in the process that we're obtaining, you know, or, or the direction we're going. I mean, we're, we're like, we want to look this image part inside of our, our culture to where it doesn't really exist. Mm. Like what exists with Jesus is this relationship. We're all in a direction. We're going towards heaven. <laughs> like that's our destination. That's where we're going. And so a lot of us may be, you know, I had a friend of mine once say, if we're all going to New York, somebody could take a, you know, way over in China and someone's in Alaska and someone's in, you know, like North Carolina. It's like uh, we're going to the in the same direction, uh, but the ways that we get there are different. And so what I've had to do is instead of making the betrayal about me and about what I perceive as reality, I've had to step out from a 5,000 foot angle and say, man, God, help me get to a 30,000 foot angle. What am I not seeing? Like, what am I not, um, like processing or, you know, I'm someone who likes growth. So I constantly want to process the way I'm perceived or the way that I come out or, um, and this is where it gets interesting because, uh, in relationships you've got, you've got an action, you've got like a, a I would call it a, uh, expectation, mm-hmm. And then you have the actual action. And when the expectation and the action don't match, you have this major gap in communication or in, in, in mm. where what we tend to do is fill it with our perception of reality. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. All of us do it. And instead, I decided to say, I'm wanting to fill it with this, but I wonder if there's a way to enter this conflict to seek to understand what I'm not seeing. Yeah. And so um, I've tried to do that. Uh, I would say in the major betrayal ones, I've had to ask myself the questions of, do I really want to restore this relationship? It's a big question because there's, there's tension in, you know, we live in a society right now that everybody wants their voice to be heard. That's like this big thing. Well, you have a voice, find your voice. What's your truth, your truth. And what if everybody has a truth? There's gotta be a truth or the truth, you know? So I've tried to align to, you know, what, what does love expect of me in this moment? Just that question has oh, allowed good. me to kind of, um, like not make a life or death yeah. <laughs> scenario into an actual situational, like, I think we just have expectations were not met, you know? And so, um, with my, it's worked well with relationships that actually can go there, um, or if we both are owning our own stuff that we're bringing to the table. But that takes, like, literally, it really takes a level of vulnerability that I don't know if everyone can get to. Okay, I want to I wanna stop you on that because I've heard you talk about this, and I think it's really beautiful and brilliant. Um, tell everyone what you mean when you say come to the table and own stuff. Like, give us a really basic example of you and, let's say, Sally. meeting at a table, what does it look like when you say own your stuff? What does that look like? Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of times it's easy to own, well, I'm just not good at this or I'm I'm broken. I'm not a great uh, communicator is what I've heard uh, at times. So like I'm being perceived this way. But what I'm talking about is like, I'll give you an example between me and my husband. This will be more of a a funny example. Um, So I'm at a, I had an event and my husband, the first thing he said when I left, could you just get home in time to help me put the kids down? Right. So there's trust there. He's I'm saying yes. And, um, you know, his expectation is you're going to be home to help me put the kids down. 
Well, I go to this thing and in my head, I go to this event in my head towards the end, I'm wrestling with, Oh man, I got to get home and put the kids down. And any parent out there that has kids under the age of, you know, six and under four and under whatever, nobody wants to put kids down. <laughs> like, that's like, you know, let's pull who, who's going to get the longest straw at this point. Like uh, nobody wants to do that. So I'm at this event and I just make like the biggest like butthead move <laughs> for lack of a better word. I, I literally, here's what I did. I got intentionally got into a conversation so I wouldn't have to go home and put the kids down. <laughs> and so I could have, I had literally two choices on my drive home. I can just tell him, you know, I got in a conversation, we talked and it went overboard. Um, but when it came to sitting down at the table and bringing, if I'm going to talk about this, it was owning the fact that when I sat down and my husband's like, dude, where were you? You know, and my husband's so gracious. He's a, he's an awesome guy. But when I sat down at this table, I had two choices. It was either you can tell him you got in a conversation, which is true. I was in a conversation, but it wasn't the truth. Yeah. You know? So the truth was, I just sat him down. I said, hey, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I intentionally <laughs> got in a conversation so I wouldn't have to put the kids down. Uh, I'm really sorry. And that was a dick move. That's exactly, I mean, full disclosure vulnerability. That's exactly what I said to him. <laughs> and my husband's face was like, uh, like, okay. Like he didn't know really how to respond. And I think it's because we're not used to that type of like full disclosure to yeah. where when he comes back, he's just like, kind of appreciate you being honest yeah. at the same time. It kind of still sucked. Yeah. But I think when we come out of that type of hiding, because mm. people don't realize for me to go back and say, I was in a conversation and I'm sorry I was late. Mm -hmm. A, it's not full disclosure of truth. And that is hiding in shame and guilt. Yeah. But we don't attest it to that. Yeah, that's good. And so what I've decided or tried to model is just a raw honesty, particularly with my closest circle. Uh, there's this level of honesty that I, had, I have to have with my people that walk through healing with me. Mm. That is full disclosure vulnerability. I need you to be able to look at me and say, hey, when I said that, I was in a bad place and I actually wanted to hurt your feelings. I'm really sorry. Yeah, it's like, man, that's refreshing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for not hiding yourself yeah. from me. Thank you for not living in shame and guilt that you even have that emotion. Like, let's have those types of conversations more often because there's yeah. grace I want to give you. Like, I want to be able to be an extension of, hey, I get that. I get when I'm in pain, I kind of want to hurt people too. You know, so coming out of the season that we came out of, I was very careful in who I talked to in the past year and a half because we just came out of a transitional season in ministry before we moved. And I wanted to be very careful or tried to be. I wasn't the best at it. There were there were moments where emotion or me processing what, what was healthy and unhealthy or but I never were I never was against people in that, like, I kind of understood that we all have these expectations and we all have these actions and we fill the gap either with positivity or negativity, yeah. which is something a friend told me a long time ago that just really resonated with me. So I've learned to try to fill it with positivity instead of me going to someone and saying, you did this and it made me feel this way. Like mm -hmm. I literally not to, I mean, I'm gonna be straight up honest. I hate that language mm -hmm. because it gives people permission, in my opinion, to believe the perception they're already created without asking you the questions of, is, is it true? That's good. That's good. So I like the phrasing of like, hey, this happened. 
Here's where my brain's taking me. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's how you meant it. Uh And I'm wanting to create a reality. So can you fill this in for me? Yeah, it's like the here's the story I'm telling myself. That's yes. what I like to use because yeah. I've 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 heard the when you did this I felt or it made me feel or I feel this way when you X Y Z and I think you're right. It is it's a per, it's our perception or it's our um it's like our re- reality that we've created that may not be true about that person, but then you've just put that person in a box. Right, or created a filter. Right. right. It's creating like, a filter, yeah. You're like, because here's what ends up happening. Watch it the next time someone says it to you. Because, like, seriously, the next time someone says it to you, it'll be, you did this and you made me feel this way. Yes. But then the next, when you're saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't know that that's how you felt, and I'm really sorry that you felt that way, they go on into their story as if it's true. Yes, exactly. Like it's it's a continuation of well this this is now true and it's like hold up like hey that's not that's your perception of what yeah, happened. That's good. You know, it's like um and that's where it became a really interesting visual for me or even like um I saw it clearly yeah. of like man we got to have I believe if we created new language then you'd have the spiritual maturity inside of leaders and the emotional and mental maturity will 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 start going on an even playing field where we're actually yeah. doing conflict really well. And that that's where culture of honor is automatically created. I'm someone who I don't believe culture of honor can exist without healthy conflict. That's great. Period. I I, I don't. I think if, if you want a culture of honor, then we have to talk about conflict. They can't be separate issues. Yeah. They, they have to be, how can we uh, be able to lean into this understanding of trust in the midst of betrayal. I mean, yeah. Jesus modeled it perfectly. You know, here, here's a guy that like all the disciples flee and, you know, he's been ultimately betrayed, but he understood like you're doing this from a place of fear. It's not really who you are, Yeah. you know? And so until we can ha- remind people like, Hey, you're actually safe here to have this type of conversation, then I don't know how to restore what, what's been lost or what's been broken. I think, yeah. I think we've got to model that in a way that bridges the gap between your spiritual, emotional, and mental health. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I think for me, Kristen, the past, I don't know, three to five years, probably this idea of circle of trust has, has been brought up and I've read a lot of books and I've heard a lot of people talk about your circle of trust. And um, <laughs> I made this really horrible mistake when I had just learned about Circle of Trust, um, probably, yeah, five years ago now. And um, I told someone, you're no longer <laughs> in my circle, in my inner circle. And my husband was like, my husband who is Enneagram 9, he's a shepherd, he's a pastor, he's a lover of people. He's like the most patient person on the planet. He's like, Nicole, you cannot say that to people. And I'm like Enneagram aiding it. Like, well, they just need to know. And I would want to know if I wasn't in someone circle and I'm just being, and then I learned my lesson. I was completely wrong in that. But on the topic of circles of trust, um, share with me, like what, what does a circle of trust look like to you? And I want to go super basic. Like how many people, how many circles you have, how many people are in your circles and who is obligated if anybody to be in your circles? I know that was like three major questions. How many circles, how many people, and are, do you have anybody that's obligated? Because I've heard people say, well, like, my mom has to be in my circle of trust or my boss has to be in my circle. They have to be in my inner circle. Help me, um, like, break that down for me, what yeah. your circle of trust looks like. 
Yeah, this is, that's a great question. Um, so I would say that, uh, first I learned this, the hard way, like you, like, um, mine wasn't necessarily like just calling it out, which I kind of <laughs> wish I would have, <laughs> to be honest, that's probably healthier. Um, mine was more of like a, you know, passive aggressive, yeah, we're not hanging and I'm not calling you back or, you know, stuff that's just dumb. It's like, I didn't know how to put people, like if I had this close knit circle, um, where I, I probably in my holy of holy closest people, uh, I, I only have capacity for four. Mm. That, that's, I've figured that out. And some people that's may cool. have capacity for five, six, seven. Uh, some people may have capacity for two or three. Um, I, I literally, those are my people that get first priority phone calls. We talk for as long as they need to talk if they're going through something. Um, we are, that, that is my ride or die. Like, like we, we are in this together, um, to manage those relationships. I I can only have like really four. Um, my, I call them like Holy of Holies, inner circle, marketplace, Outer, outer circle would be ministry. Those, those are different circles. So Correct. Holy, Holy of Holies is the first. Yeah, I look circle. at it like the Old Testament. Yeah, like I yeah, kind of yeah. look at it like that. But yeah, Holy of Holies would be like the the inner inner circle. And that's like where that's you that's have your four. people. Yes. Okay. That's what that's the one that gets the the good, the bad, the ugly, the yeah. dirty, the not normal, <laughs> like yes. people. And then the one after that is. I call it inner circle. Inner circle. So okay. some people may start with inner circle, and that's fine. Uh, I think for that, I probably have like including like those four, like 10, those four go with me everywhere. Okay. So in my circles, they're in them. Like, you know, as they expand, um, all these people that are in these circles are also in these circles. Good. So I I just keep it like that because it's, it it stays healthy for me. Um, and then I've learned the hard way of, so I'm someone, you've learned this about me, I think. Um, well, I know, um, I'm someone, someone that can like, I like to go deep. I like to like talk about like really like deep, whether it's spiritual, theological, like, like thoughts I'm having, scripture I'm wrestling with, uh, you know, characters, characteristics of God I'm wrestling with, like whatever. I like to go deep and I like to go deep in just life. Like, how, how are you doing? I don't like basic answers. I like literally intentionally like having those conversations. But what I found out in this last season was, um, I didn't realize that like my, like barely scratching the surface of depth was sometimes like the depth that certain people could go. And I don't mean that like in like a, oh, I'm so much deeper. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like some people just live because that's where they like to live. Some people like to live like surface relationship. I I don't. I'm not one of those people that that enjoy that. So I don't like just, you know, non- going somewhere conversation yeah. ask my husband it's annoying well, that's, that's, that's one of the things that mm-hmm. I I really appreciate and love about you is mm-hmm. your ability to go deep yeah well and, and then what what ended up happening in the last season is that when I saw these people that I would consider probably more, more marketplace so you have holy of holies inner circle marketplace okay like more ministry style people um that when I would go what I felt was more surface level um it was their depth. Mm. So then somewhere along the way, I think that it gave in their minds, they had per- permission to like speak into my life on everything that was going on. Mm. And I had to wrestle with that with God of like, why is this person like, I haven't, 
I'm not asking for that in this season for the, this particular person. It's, it's no like harm, no foul. I, I needed to know what my role in it was. Yeah. Like how did someone believe that they had that type of permission to tell me what to do mm. or how to make a decision? And it was shocking whenever I got along with God, because as I was journaling, it was like God was revealing, like you need to get to know people before you offer these types of things. Yeah, it's good. Because what you're doing is you're going, you're not honoring their story at that point because you're hitting depths that they go mm. and it's giving them permission in their minds to speak into things. Yeah. And I've in this season, I mean, if, if people saw me doing ministry, I do it very differently, which I actually think might be wisdom could be elements of brokenness and protection of my heart. I have no idea mm. uh, trying to protect my own heart or shunning people. I have no idea, but I do think that where the wisdom piece comes in is it's, it's made me ask more questions to see where people are at. Mm. So then I actually have an awareness and a gauge of, Instead of this being about me and the depths that I want to go, I now can see, hey, I think it's cool to go here. Yeah. Like, and I've learned from my husband, primarily, it's like, I want to give people almost like, I think your husband and I had this conversation too, one point, Paris and I, where he's like, I'll just give people a little bit and I want to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. So I think with the circle of trust to bring it back in, my holy holies is for, because it's, it's literally people that I like to have these types of intense conversations with and they can, they get me, they love me. My, in, in, I will say this to anyone. My biggest advice for the people that get to be in your Holy of Holies is they are for you no matter what. That's good. No matter what. There is no uh, questioning of any type of filter they have for you. Mm. And there's no questioning of whether they're coming at you with biasism inside of their advice. That's good. It is a, I know that you're coming to me because you love me. Yeah. And if you question that at all, then I'm not saying that person doesn't get to come back to your Holy Holies in a season, but if you're questioning it at all, they can't be there in that season. That's right. That's right. You have to be, you have to protect that. That's very, I'm very adamant about that. And then, then I go inner circle. And like I said, inner circle is probably about 10. And then your marketplace is kind of like, it could be acquaintances that come over and have dinner slash also people you like may minister to slash hang out with in, in, in big crowds. And, and you're parties. not going deep with those people. No, you're, you're scratching one of those relationships. I would say even in some of my inner circle relationships, so not Holy of Holy, Holy of Holies, I get to be seen and they get to be seen. Yeah. In some of my inner circle, it's all about the other person. It's, it. it's almost like a ministry, but I have to be filled up by my core to be able to do ministry. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so my inner circle, um, some of those relationships could be both sided. Uh, most of them minus the four that's in the Holy of Holies. Most of them in that inner circle, the other six are probably more one sided. Like mm. I mainly try to focus on their life yeah. uh, because my, my four are the ones I'm trying to heal with. That's so good. they get all of me. Yeah. I, I like that people, you use that language. Yeah. I'm healing with the Holy of Holies, like the inner, inner circle. Yes. I've, I've heard you and your husband use that language and I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that's really, that's really smart language that you're healing with them because you're not going to be when you're on the pulpit or when you're in front of an event in Destin or in front of a ton of people, you're not healing with those people. So they only get a certain percentage of you. And I just felt like that word healing with you was really significant to bring another level of understanding of right. what that inner circle looks like. Totally. So like, like preaching on a pulpit, I'll probably give 20%. 
Yeah. And I got that from my husband and the way he, he's taught me that a lot because I used to get on pulpits and I was like, oh, we can full disclose everything. We're girls. What's up? Da, da, da. And I think women, uh, particularly some men, but mostly women, we try to go to really deep places a little yeah. bit faster because we're more emotionally wired. Uh, and I think we can actually learn something healthy from men yeah. of like slow down. Which is super funny because anyone who's ever heard you speak would probably say you're like really open, vulnerable, raw, real, depth, whatever, from the pulpit. I mean, I've sat next to you um, on a stage and have witnessed that. And I I know that's what people love about you. I think it's your authenticity, but that's a prime example of of what it looks like to actually um, be, be authentic, but... Um, that's not all of you. There's so much more to you. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up soon, but I wanted to ask just a couple, like, primarily because I just, I love this topic, but a couple of pointed questions around back to betrayal. Um, and, and if you can, try and answer, because I'm just going to ask some random, yeah, super, like, straight questions. Um, what would you say to someone who, um, let's say their inner circle has been, um, let, let's say they've been betrayed by an inner, a holy of holies inner circle mm-hmm. person. This person is going to be in their life. Let's call them family. Mm-hmm. It, they're family. They're close. Mm-hmm. You can't get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can move away from them, but they're going to be in your life. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Maybe it's a coworker. I mean, maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's just a best friend. What would you say to someone if they've been betrayed over and over again? Um, no matter how big the betrayal, it's they've been betrayed. What would you say to them? How do you, how do you walk that out healthy and loving? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd start by saying like, I mean, get some alone time with God for your own self. Like, yeah. take take some rest. Um, even if it's like you know taking a break from being around them, because whether you realize it or not, if there's betrayal there, then you're creating filters and biasisms unintentionally that that's your that that's our way of uh protecting ourselves we we put up we put up walls um and we all do it uh even ministers that we're not ministers of the gospel we're not like you know absent from this like it, it affects all of us relationships are hard i would say uh people that i've seen do it the healthiest are people that you know my route was therapy my route was i had someone that i really enjoyed because I'm an external processor, um, that helped me be able to see. Um, but also realizing like when I can look at a person and know that intrinsic value is a separate issue, that person has intrinsic value, their behavior is affecting our relationship and our connection. I've got to walk through my own journey of understanding my grief from it, which is hard because we, we've never been given tools of on how to grieve. Well, Mm. um, I'm, I'm walking through that now. I think that's a interesting topic in and of itself, but learning how to grieve your way. Um, and, and whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation with God, whether it's, um, you know, music, whether it's just an outlet, whether it's running on a beach, whether it's outdoors, like find those things that fill you up, but then get someone that isn't connected to you too. Like that's why therapy was my favorite. So that you you can see what you're not seeing. Mm. Because I do believe inside of our faith, there's a very fine line between discernment and assumption. Mm. And I think sometimes those get very mucky when feelings are involved. 
And until we can have that healthy dialogue to associate, okay, I'm feeling this way, but this is a feeling and it doesn't dictate reality, but I'm feeling betrayed. So I don't know what to do with that. So let me walk, walk a little bit with a limp in this relationship on guard, you know, until I know how to helpfully re-engage for restoration. Now, the tension with restoration is forgiveness is one-sided. That's me and God. I can forgive anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, that—that that is a one-sided thing with me and God. I don't need another person to forgive. That's good. To restore, you have to have both. So, restoration, in my opinion, can't happen until two people are willing to own their own stuff. Yeah. Like, you can't come to me and say and blame me for everything that's going on. It's got to be, okay, why is this affecting you? That's good. That's a great question. There's something in you that's being triggered by the way I'm either saying things or wired or the way you're perceiving it. So why is this affecting? Because that has to live in the person. That has to live in me as well. That's the questions I have to ask myself. Why is this triggering me? Why is this affecting me? That brokenness is in me. That's on me. That's good. And that's wisdom that I don't think a lot of people can understand. They see, they see their brokenness and they project it on someone else and go, this is your problem. I need you to fix you versus, okay, maybe they do got some issues, but I'm projecting my own issues. Mm -hmm. Let's look at both sides of the coin. Exactly. Now, now I do think you have to place ownership where ownership is due. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you've gotten, you, you know, if there was a, in a relationship, whether it's a girlfriend, friendship, whatever, like I'm not going to own someone else's brokenness, right? Yeah. So I'm going to own what I can own, but there has to be a level of separation between this is all I can own. So I'm yeah. going to own this, but I'm not going to own this. It's good. This is not mine to own. So there has to be a separation, but it's not a, this isn't mine to own. This is yours to own. It's, it's yeah. a, Hey, I want to meet you in this and I'm willing to go where I believe is, 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 my place to go. But when it comes to these things right here, I can't own those. Yeah. These are going to be things we have to discuss. And some people can actually re-engage and go, those are mine. I can own those. The tension is, is what do you do with the relationship that can't? Yeah. That's hard because that person doesn't get to stay in the Holy of Holies in that season. Yeah. It's a season of, um, refinement for them, for you. Um, and that's unfortunate because, uh, it doesn't mean you can't stay connected and stay close. Uh, it means that there's some work that has to be done, uh, that you have to protect your own heart. Um, and also you are, that is the most loving thing you can do even for them as well. Yeah. What would you say, Kristen, to someone like, give me some language. Um, what would you say to someone who has been betrayed and let's say you're the one that betrayed their trust. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. What's language that you should use when approaching them or trying to re-engage, mm-hmm. heal, restore that relationship? Mm-hmm. So you're the one that just betrayed trust. Yep. What are examples? And obviously, it would be different for every every person in every situation. But just give me like some basic 101s examples of language. Like the first one I think of is, hey, I really messed up. Here's mm-hmm. what I did. Mm-hmm. And and that's how I would consider like owning my stuff. Here, right. Here's what I did. I am so sorry for doing that. And I like what you said earlier saying, um, I intentionally did that to hurt you. Right. So those are two examples I think of. But what what's maybe one or two other ones you can think of? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say 
one that comes to mind i'm gonna i'm gonna do it in a two part if that's okay yeah one that comes to mind was um i had a friend that literally uh walked away because she she believed in her mind that i was gossiping and like that i was talking about her and i'm gonna use one that's not my reality and one that is my reality this is the one that's not okay um, but she genuinely thought I was gossiping about her. So um, when she approached me, it's easy to go straight to, I wasn't doing that. Mm. I wasn't da, da 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 It's like, but I don't think that's the right approach because uh, personally, I really yeah. don't. There's many opinions out there, but I don't think that's the right approach. Even if, even if it's your, your true to you, because feelings aren't right and wrong. They just are. And that's where it becomes an interesting thing because your feelings, you know what it feels like. Any woman that's listening to this, any man that's listening to this, if you've ever felt talked about, you have this like, ah, mm. like almost encompassing, take over your body emotion that sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. So the first thing that I've learned to do in scenarios like that is like, I really don't care how I'm like perceived in the sense of like, well, if she thinks I did or didn't, who cares? I have a friend that's really hurting and I think that really matters to God. And so the, the, the conversation went like this with her was, oh my goodness, I am so sorry you felt that way. I had no idea that's how you felt. Like, first of all, that emotion in and of itself is all encompassing. And that really hurts my, hurts my heart for you. And you need to know that. And it was very intentional. and It was very real. And I meant what I was saying. And then my next question to her was, would you like me to speak into it? Hmm. And the reason I did that is because sometimes people need to sit in that and feel everything they need to feel before they're ready to engage in the conversation. Yeah. Now, sometimes they're like, yes, would you speak into it? Say, okay, here's the, here's what I, here's what happened. Yeah. Here's from my perspective, what was going on. Yeah, that's good. So, and then there's one where it didn't go so well. <laughs> so, uh, particularly like a lot of mine are with my husband a lot. Um, but some of them are been like, uh, major disconnect that I don't know if it's I'm ready to restore Mm. like or if they're ready to restore and it's it's on me you know um I had a scenario about a year ago where my husband and I made a made a decision and there are people that I just cut out of my life because um it was easier to be honest uh not to have the conversations that probably needed to be had it was just easier and um some of that isn't restored for one particular relationship. It is. And what that looked like was, um, I don't know if every decision we made in that season was spot on perfect. Uh, I don't regret, uh, our ultimate decision. I do regret the way I probably went about pushing that decision as being, cause I probably had a little bit of an arrogance that was, this is the decision we're right. You know, um, but I did have one moment with God where it was, I want you to call this person and apologize. It was just, I mean, that, that was, and I knew it was Holy Spirit and we wrestled because I was like, I don't want to like, you know, and then I realized that, you know, God's right. Like he sees things bigger than we see them. He sees uh, every person's story, pain, he considers it all. And we tend to get stuck in our own story 
without seeing the way that he sees, yeah. you know? And so I've tried not perfectly, but, uh, I try to be excellent to whenever he's asking me to do something, I've tried to lean into it to the best of my ability. So one of the tools that I have would be just literally, I am sorry. It's good. And, and it's, I also know that you get space to do with this apology, how you see fit, yeah. you know? And, uh, I don't know if we'll ever be the same, uh, but it's in the direction of restoration. You know, yeah. it's in the direction of, hey, I think this can open because I'm not hiding. You're not hiding. We're having the tough conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, one of them I've even said to someone was, um, in particular, was, uh, yeah, I think I had a lot of insecurity in the way you saw my decision. Hmm. And therefore, I took a bold stance because I tend to go uber intense inside of or look super confident in decision making if there's any insecurity that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so to be vulnerable, I had to go my my stance of being super confident was a facade mm -hmm. because I just had a lot of insecurity coming up when you were questioning me. Mm, that's good. So it, it's you, you got some ownership. Um, I actually still deal with that one. Um, like I think there's tons of insecurities that tend to come up and, um, to own those. It's like, I'm, I'm now got tools to be able to pull out of that belt that yeah. go, you know, in my mind, you're being insecure. That's dumb, mm -hmm. you know, but that's how I talk to me, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and another one is like whenever triggers happen or massive, um, explosions or whatever inside a relationship, I mean, my therapist gave me a great tool and literally I, I whisper this to myself. It's, this is not a bear. Mm. And that literally, like just that thought, that's good. Stabilizes my brain. Mm. Stabilizes I my emotion. Use that. This is not a bear. Yeah, it's not what, for what, what do you, you say? Know? Like you're not a bear. You're an ant. Right. Or, I'm just right. kidding. Um, are there any? Just just to kind of wrap this up. Thank you so much for for sharing and being really vulnerable and open and um, giving us just such amazing tools. You do a great job at that. Mm -hmm. And, um, Thank you. I just really appreciate it. But are, are there any books, podcasts, or things that you would suggest around this idea of trust that you've read or learned from mm. that you would suggest? And I'm kind of putting you on the spot there, but books or podcasts or people that talk mm. about trust yeah. that you, you're like, you know what? I got a good snippet of wisdom out of that. Mm. Um, I, Carla Chud and Danny Silk wrote a book, Pathway to Powerful. I think there's some really cool um, tools and concepts in it. I think that, that that's a really good start. Uh, I enjoy uh, listening to podcasts that may like be kind of like out of left field mm -hmm. for the topic, but I actually like think that it's kind of appropriate. Like there's a guy, um, uh, oh, it's Baldwell. Can't think of his first name right now. I just went blank. He does an amazing podcast where he talks about, um, he, he just wrote a book called Talking to Strangers. And so he also wrote Blink. I just can't think of his first name. I'm so sorry. Um, but he does a really interesting uh, podcast with Oprah that I found very intriguing on, you know, it's kind of hinting around this psychology topic. It's not really directed at trust, but it has loaded with with psychology reasons of, of lack of trust, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one is um, I really enjoyed a podcast uh, last year a guy named Caleb Anderson did on Spirit Farm with a guy named John Jolliffe. 
and oh my goodness, this dude is, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a really, really good podcast. What was the guy's name again? John? John Jolliffe. Okay. It's like J-O-L-I-F-F-E. Because I've heard you talk about him. He sounds super intriguing. So we'll have to check him out. Um, all right. Well, you guys, uh, how can people follow you, Kristen, for more wisdom? What's your Instagram, Facebook? What's all that? Uh, Facebook's Kristen Swilly Cowgill. So Kristen right. Swilly Cowgill. And then Instagram's just uh, Misra's Cowgill. That's right. Yeah. Nothing. So y'all can y'all can find her, follow her, get some more insight and wisdom. Thanks for for tuning in and listening to our conversation on trust and betrayal and circles. Um, and I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to connect with me on any of the social media platforms, you can find me at Nicole Lynn Rowan.